Hello and welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for solo parents and those considering solo parenthood by donor conception. I'm your host Mel Johnson, the solo parenthood coach and solo mum to my five-year-old daughter. Series six of the podcast is focused on solo parenthood stories and speaking to a range of solo mums about their path to parenthood. Before we start today's episode, I'd love to tell you about the group coaching course I run, Solo Parenthood Conversations. It's a three-week remote course for solo parents through donor conception, where we explore confidently communicating to both our children and those around us. It's based on the latest research with inputs from both donor-conceived people and specialist psychologists in this area. It's got five-star ratings from the previous attendees and I've just updated it with even more content to make it even better value for money. Even if you feel confident, it's always great to understand the latest research and be even better prepared for all eventualities. It's great value at just £75 for the three-week course. Check out the details at thestalkandi.com forward slash group coaching, where you can also find details of my other group coaching courses for those considering solo parenthood as well as pregnant solo mums. And now on to today's episode. Claire, so nice to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Mel. You're more than welcome. Can we start off by you just giving yourself a quick introduction? Yes, so I'm Claire, I am 38 and I'm based in Newcastle Um, and I discovered your podcast back in 2020 when I first started researching and I came onto one of your courses as well in 2021, so we've kept in touch since then. Um, So yeah, here I am, so like I say, thank you very much for having me. So Claire, do you want to start off by talking a little bit around the decision to become a solo parent when did this all start for you the thought process yeah and I think it probably mirrors a lot of our community's um thoughts on this so I was in relationships all through my 20s into my early 30s and then at that crucial point when you're deciding to start a family or think about it my relationship broke down I was 32 and it was my choice to say okay if we're not at that point of having a family that's really important I want to be able to to pursue that with somebody. Um, And as it was, I didn't then meet anybody over those kind of crucial years, 32 to 35, dated. It just wasn't quite right. And my mum had gone through um, a hysterectomy due to endometriosis when she was 39, 40. So it had always been on her radar to say, maybe think about freezing your eggs, maybe think about having a family. It was obviously a contentious thing then in my relationship as I was in my early 30s. So I didn't actually consider doing that at the time. And then as I got to 35, I thought, actually, that alarm bell goes and you think, I don't actually know what my fertility is like. We've never actively tried to get pregnant. I don't know whether I can, whether I can't. So at that point, I reached out to the Centre for Life in Newcastle in that was 2019. And I went through and I was coming up 36 and I said, I just want to have a bit of an MOT or just at least understand what my options are. Because of my mum having endometriosis, they agreed that that could be done. So I went through some um, initial tests and at the time, everything was fine. They said, you know, this is this is where you're at. And I said, well, actually, I'm thinking about potentially doing it on my own. And they said, we've got 12 months now as an open access. If you want to go away and have a think about that, you can come back into the clinic. Otherwise, if you leave it after 12 months, if you decide to meet somebody or things change, you'll just have to come back through the GP. 
So that all made sense. And then we hit COVID. Um, so I went to the clinic in August 19, and then we went into COVID in March 20. And as COVID progressed, again, it got to the summer and I thought that 12 months is coming up. I'm actually going to just go back into the clinic now because I've not met anyone through COVID. This is still a priority. So I rang the clinic in the May and it took until the November to get an appointment because there was such a backlog wow. um, just due to all the cancellations that had gone through for people already in the system. Um, yeah. So I said, OK, November, I'm in no rush. I might still meet somebody, as we all think. Um, and then I went to the clinic in the November, did an initial appointment. And I said, actually, I've still not met anybody. I'm pretty sure I want to go ahead. Um, and that rolled me into my first IUI, um, which was actually the following May. So it was nearly a year from that initial appointment to then go through the counselling process, to um, go through the donor selection. So I had my first IUI in May 2021. And how old were you then? So I was 37. What's really interesting listening to you there is like I could just copy and paste everything you would say and say yes that's exactly the same as me even to the point actually of my mum having a hysterectomy at 39. Sorry mum if that's too much information to share Um, but um, and then that being on your mind thinking you know splitting up with someone in 30 something and thinking oh what does this mean for having children thinking about fertility thinking how long have you got particularly due to family history um, and I think so many people could just say yeah cut and paste everything you said that's exactly the situation that I'm in as well and then just Covid you know bloody Covid just yeah. slowing everything down um so many people have found themselves in that situation as well so okay so you you have your first IUI yeah and how was that didn't work went in as optimistic as I think we all probably do when you get to that point you know I I honestly thought I was you know I've made the decision we spent years thinking about this um let's go and I went into it and it didn't work but then I thought realistically this is my first month of trying so actually how many people do fall on their first month so in the northeast the protocol is as a single woman if you do six IUIs that are unsuccessful you qualify for NHS funded IVF Okay. So I would have to fund six IUIs. If that's unsuccessful, you then go into having three rounds of funded IVF, which I know it's postcode lottery, but you then become the same inverted commas as a couple trying to conceive. So at least that's, that's one positive, at least that where you were, that you were treated yes. the same as a couple. Yeah, which is absolutely. Positive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the IUIs for me were com- really uncomplicated, really straightforward, literally nipped in on a lunch break to get one done one day. Wow. <laughs> I was very, I was were they unmedicated. Yeah. yeah. So I was, te- and I should say from my test, you know, nothing came up and I'm very fortunate with that as well. And even to this point, you know, I am kind of, is, is a tick box if you like, I can go ahead with treatment. I haven't had the stumbles that I know other people come across. So Due to that, I made the decision to go through the IUIs. I did four pretty much back to back because they were unmedicated. I was was able to do that. Um, The first four didn't work. And by this point, I was starting to feel quite demotivated and thought, you know, I know I've got to do this fix, so let's just keep going. But at the same time, the cost is racking up because although the IUI is not expensive, as we know, it's the sperm, it's the shipping, it's everything that goes with that as well. Um, And then my fifth and sixth IUI. So I had one in November of 2021. 
that resulted in a chemical pregnancy. Um, so you test positive and then within four to six days of the positive test, you start your period, you realize it's, it's not. Unfortunately, I was at a wedding reception when that happened. So I was having a great time at the wedding, wasn't drinking, had my secret G&Ts. Um, I had a friend on board that was just bringing me over tonic and she knew what was going on. She'd gone through IVF herself and it was just a really lovely day. And then by about 11 o'clock at night, I realized something wasn't quite right with that. Um, found out the next day I rang the clinic and they said just do a pregnancy test and it was negative so by that point within 12 hours my levels had completely dropped and they said it's known as a, as a chemical pregnancy. On that one had you tested early or had no. you no see that happened to me on my first transfer and I got a positive but I tested early and then I was a like a, a testing addict um so you know I tested every day and mm. rather than getting a stronger and stronger line I was getting a weaker and weaker line and it's hard isn't it because you get that glimmer of hope at first not like I don't know how you felt because I still felt tentative even because, but that was because I tested early so because I tested I, and I was a bit like oh you know and it was it what it was a faint line and I was thinking oh well each day it will get to be a stronger mm -hmm. line which is actually what happened you know later on mm -hmm. um but on that one every day I tested and, until there was no line and it, it's just that hope that sort of dashed isn't it that's really tough. I've, I've said this to people when I've talked about them because there's so much weight in a positive pregnancy test and this isn't just you know a, a quick month of try and this is years especially in our situation so that positive test holds so much meaning and weight so for that to be taken away from you at any yeah. point I think whether you're trying with a partner or not it's devastating if it's something you've really wanted and I'm the opposite to you I don't test early I hate test day I've got a friend who's been my ally through all of this and she gets excited and I get really apprehensive and I'm like I'd rather live in hope for another day I don't want True. I know people are one of two camps I'm just impatient I'm like yeah. let me see let me see and I'm the opposite I'm like I don't want this to not work and I'd rather have the hope today that I could be um so I didn't test early I tested on the day I was told to test and they said you know it's really unfortunate it's common all the things that I do know but at the time you just don't want to hear so I said I'm going to take December off I didn't want to run the risk of doing another IUI and having the same outcome around Christmas because I knew my dates and I thought if it is positive and then this happens again it's going to be right over Christmas I just need a month to let my yeah. hair down kind of relax so I took December off and then I went back in in the January of 22 same thing happened again positive test four days later and um, I woke up in the morning period had started and I just thought I never I never thought it would happen again I thought I was just unlucky I didn't go into the next round actually believing the same thing would happen I was just really optimistic and thought look I've got pregnant here this means I don't maybe need to get to IVS if I can just get it in on this last and final IUI this could be the one and I was so optimistic and then even when I tested positive I was I was excited but I was a little bit cautious but I actually didn't think the same thing would happen or maybe mm. I was a bit naive and mm. as I say within a few days remember ringing mum first thing in the morning said the same thing's happened again and she was like oh, I can't believe it so that was the IUI phase um so in the case in the space of 11 oh well, yeah in the space of nine months um I'd gone through six rounds so I'd, I'd done them back to back but they were unmedicated so for me it was just going off a natural cycle which felt absolutely mm. fine
And I think it's a really um, important point to talk about because so many people are trying to decide between IUI and IVF. Mm -hmm. And that there is no there is no answer, you know, there are things that can help you decide which one to do. And I, and I think if you're have, if you know that you're going to be funded for IVF, but like you say, one of the reasons that I decided not to do IUI was to try to avoid that emotional roller coaster because you get your hopes up every time. And I thought, you know what, I just want to try and give myself as much possibility the first time. However, the, the the huge benefit for you, like you say, was it was on your natural cycle. So it was so much less invasive. But like you say, the problem is the um, the cost of sperm. So that must have all cost, I guess, as much at least as a, as a round of IVF would have cost. It was, yeah, by the end of it, I worked it out. It's probably cost what two rounds of IVF would have. Um, right. Now, it's great with hindsight to say, I should have gone to IVF and part of me does believe that because of the time element but then there's another part of me that thinks I was able to do this IUI so were uncomplicated I didn't have any drugs in my system I literally yeah. fitted them in around meetings and lunch breaks it was so easy because I'm lucky I'm 15 minutes from my clinic it worked for me and I think yeah. the insurance policy at the end of it was the IVF but to me going into this initially if somebody had said IVF that even when I was doing it seemed quite scary it was something I never had on my radar and that's one of my other points I was thinking you know when we grow up you don't grow up saving for IVF you save for a house you save for a car you save for the holiday the wedding nobody actually says but what if you need to go down the IVF route and that always comes at a point typically when you're buying all these bigger purchase items in your life so it's another thing to lump into it and there isn't necessarily the savings part there for it you have to make massive sacrifices and yeah I think from a time perspective maybe I should have gone straight to IVF but equally I at least gave my body a chance to do it naturally and I really did believe I do believe in IUIs and I think if somebody was unsure maybe do a couple because it's a lot less invasive if you can fund that fund it that way but if like me you're in a catchment where they say do six I just followed the protocol and actually it you know it was the right thing to do at the time. And you can't you can't live life like that either can mm. you you have to just say you know, this is a decision I made because I think I've spoken to plenty of people who've got pregnant on their first IUI. Yes. And and when you ask people for advice, people who got pregnant on their like first or second IUI say, try IUI. Mm -hmm. People who had six and then went to IVF say, just go straight to IVF. <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's totally, it's luck in many ways, isn't it? it? Is. And, and I, do. I think it is. Yeah, yeah, I think it's absolute luck. And I think, yeah, and but you know, as as I say, we are where we are. And I had the chemical pregnancy in January. Spoke to the clinic, and they said, "Okay, you, you're now eligible for IVF." But again, you go back into that waiting list time because I've gone from now being a private patient to an NHS funded patient. Um, so at that point, I went through the the, the process of counselling again to make sure it's what I wanted to do. I had to redo all my paperwork again, which just sounded crazy because I'm thinking, if I got pregnant on those IUIs, no one checked in between the first and the sixth to say, is this still what you want? Um, so I went for, for IVF and I had egg collection in August 2022. So from the chemical pregnancy in January, it took till the July to be able to start the drugs and then have egg collection in the August. And I think, so it's, again, another important point to pick up on because lots of people ask about NHS treatment and whether they 
would be eligible, etc. And I think two things. One is it's very dependent on where you live. There's so many different rules. Um, but the second is the wait time. So for some people, if you are eligible, depending on your age, the wait time, depending on the area that you're in and what the wait list looks like, may just not be even feasible anyway you might not have that long to wait so although it's fantastic that um you know you were eligible for it i think for other people just to consider and um, finding out how long it might take um because if you were using a clinic that that would have been vastly reduced i would imagine yeah, the wait time absolutely absolutely and i think for me at that point i took the time to actually enjoy coming out of fertility treatment which I know sounds crazy because the priority is to get pregnant not to want to get pregnant Mm. but I felt completely drained by that point and yeah it got to kind of Jan Feb and I thought I'm just going to take stock here I'm just going to step back and I actually enjoyed that time dare I say between Feb and July because I could make plans to go on holiday in the way I couldn't with an IUI I could not be as I was still exercising and do everything you do a diet wise, but it wasn't on my mind. I wasn't knowing what day I was ovulating. I didn't have to readjust my diary because actually I need to pop to the clinic for a scan. Those months were actually a really enjoyable time. And I remember saying I was quite open then with that group of friends and said, this is the time when we can just make plans and I don't have Go to for it. And panic. <laughs> yeah. So I also made the decision at that point to change donors as well. Um, which I think it's worth noting. So I'd use the same donor for all the IUIs. And then it was having a, a wine and cheese night at a friend's house. And one of my friends just said, can I just ask, why are you going to use the same donor again for IVF? Like, is it not worth maybe mixing it up? And it hadn't even occurred to me. And I said, mm. well, actually, yeah, maybe that's something to think about. And then another friend who's very pragmatic said, you know, in these situations, something's not working. Maybe we need to change one of the variables. Cons- uh, variables that's the word so at this point I was like yeah well maybe I'm getting old She's like, we can't change you you're staying but what can we change we can change him and I thought that's a really good way to look at it so I spoke to the clinic and they said yeah if you want to they said we don't think there's an issue with the donor because you were falling but if you want to you can so I went back on the um the cryos website and I picked a donor he had one vial available that was it um everything matched up in terms of what I needed um in terms of um, CMV testing and all the rest of it so I thought let's just go with this wild card let's just try it so I did I shipped the wild card over and I used that donor for my IVF um which came up in the summer and again that felt quite positive going into it thinking I have changed one of the variables that I can change here plus I've changed the protocol so I felt in a good space and just before we go into that did the clinic do they have any explanation on why you might have multiple chemical pregnancies no they just very much said it's a case of even with with fertility treatment even if you're testing on the day they say you're still testing quite early in the comparison to maybe somebody trying outside of fertility where it's not on your mind and that could have really looking back just been a really heavy period or a a few days late period which we probably maybe all had at some point and not thought much more of if you've been trying or if you know so they did they weren't concerned and that was my question and I'd been for various tests throughout the IUIs um 
the, the dye test, I can't remember the name of it now, where they, they, they basically send you away to just check your tubes and everything. Everything was fine. So they said, we don't actually think there's a problem here. Mm-hmm. It's just unlucky almost, which mm-hmm. in some ways you want an actual hard medical fact, but then at other times, maybe it's better just going into it going, okay, maybe I'm just unlucky and this could change and there's no reason why I can't get pregnant. So that was how it was left um, heading into, I- into the IVF. Okay, and how were you feeling at this point? Really good after the break. And that's what I would say to people is if you can, it doesn't have to be as long as that. As You know, I took out, I was kind of forced to have that break, but I really enjoyed having that time out. And I thought different protocol, different donor, let's do it. It was the summer. It was a really nice time to start again. Um, and I started my um, down regulation. It was the week of the heat wave. So I'll never know if I had side effects or not because I was overheating anyway, <laughs> like the rest of the UK. Um, and yeah, I started the down reg then. And then I had egg collection done, I think it's like the 22nd of August. So it was just a nice time. Work was a little bit quieter. I took a week off. Um, I really actually, looking back, had a nice process, as nice as it could have been for IVF. And how did the egg collection go for you? So egg collection was absolutely fine. I got pushed back a couple of days to do a few more days of the Menopure. They just said, we just want to give the follicles a little bit of extra time to grow. I mean, I will say I found all the scans and the tests through IVF a lot more stressful than an IUI because everything is so dependent on the follicle needs to be this size. This doesn't look quite right. We want to do this. And that was that felt quite overwhelming to me after just being able to breeze in for an IUI to all of a sudden sitting there with a consultant saying we actually need to look at this and we need to bring you back tomorrow for a blood test and we need to maybe delay this. And that really did start to panic me because I just thought this isn't what I signed up for. I didn't know there would be all these milestones you have to meet. And if you're not meeting them in IVF, they can literally cancel your cycle, which was really quite scary at that point because you are five weeks into drugs. And at that point, it's not a given. You're even going to get to egg collection. It's so out of your control as well, isn't it? That's one of the things that's difficult. And it's the best thing because you don't want to carry on if they're telling you this isn't going to be successful. But at the same time, everything's gearing up to doing it. You're so ready for it. It's so hard to hear if things aren't progressing. So it's it's your body, but you're out of control of the whole situation, which is really hard. Um, But egg collection was fine. I got pushed back a few days. Um, They did my collection. I got a small collection. I only got four eggs, which I remember feeling quite devastated by because I'd always heard about, you know, eight, tens, twelves. You just hear all these numbers and I didn't react very well to the anaesthetic. So I, I had low blood pressure after. So I was kept in the clinic for a few extra hours and then I got to go home. Um, but the next day the nurse rang and all four had fertilized. So they said, you know, you've got a small collection. However, the quality is great. This is a really good start. And then the kind of hold your breath, wait for five days for the the embryologist to call kicks in. And that's again out of your control. And you think, you know, I've done everything I can now. I'm just waiting. Um, So by the the third day they rang back, I still had four. And they said one was looking really good. And then we got to transfer day, but I only had one on transfer day. And I wasn't really prepared for that because on the third day, there's only two days between day three and five. And on third day, we were looking at four and I was already Googling how much it is to freeze them. I was like, that's great. We'll just, you know, I'll freeze them. At least I've got them there. If I want to go in again next year, there could be a sibling then. I'll try, I'll do whatever. So I got there and they said, we've got one really good one. And I said, oh, where's the others? And they said, unfortunately, they didn't make it. And I said, really? I said, I, I thought 
as of two days ago, we would be at a position to freeze. And they said they were borderline. And they said, we wouldn't think if we, we don't think if we froze them, they would necessarily defrost to what you would need. So unfortunately, we're not going to continue with that. Um, so I kind of went from excitement to a bit of devastation that there's now only one and I knew that everything was riding on one. So I went in for transfer, um, came out and I drove up to my parents. It was the bank holiday weekend. It was a really nice sunny weekend. So I'm just going to go up, chill out up there and one of the first things mum said was as well, you know, this is great, but how, how many of you froze? And I said, I didn't get any. And I think she felt it as well, because we've just gone through this whole process and there was now only one, but it was in and it was it was where it needed to be. Um, so I waited to do the test. I think it was nine or 10 days after when you've had IVF. Um, so I tested at half two in the morning. I just woke up and couldn't sleep and thought I've not tested days early. It's a few hours earlier than I should have. And it was positive and it was just the most amazing feeling because, again, I didn't think what had previously happened would happen again. I thought mm. this is it. I know it could happen, but it wasn't on my mind. It was just absolute delight that it had worked at that point. Did you think, well, this is IVF? So I don't know, in your mind, yeah. did that feel different? Yeah, I was like, this has been graded. It was already hatching because you get to see it on the screen before they transfer. They said it was a beautiful embryo is the words they used. And I was like, great. Um, yeah, and I thought this is a lot more measured. It's a lot more controlled than any of the other things I've done. And looking back, the chemical pregnancies would never have got that far. Those embryos wouldn't have been as strong. So I thought, you know, yeah. we picked the best that we had and maybe the others would have been the case of a chemical if we had transferred them. So let's go with this one. So yeah, I had the transfer and then I tested and morning sickness kicked in just as it should. I think it was about five and a half, six weeks, um, which I was, you know, no one loves it, but it was a positive sign. And I got through that first week and I was like, okay, I'm over that kind of hurdle because that, that first week was quite worrying because I thought the same could happen. Mm. It didn't. I started testing more and more. The, the positive tests were getting stronger um, on, the, on the pregnancy kept test. So I thought, yeah, this is, this is good. And then I went for my seven week scan, um, which is standard for IVF and lovely consultant scanned me and she put the heart monitor on. I could hear the heartbeat and then she turned it off. She said, I'm a little bit concerned because the heart rate's a little bit slow and you're measuring a few days behind. And I said, okay. And she said, I'm not too worried because everything looks great. The fetal pole, again, something I never even heard of. That looks good, but I don't want to discharge you and leave you to 12 weeks in case the heart rate doesn't pick up. And because I was taking daily progesterone because of the previous miscarriages, she said, sometimes the progesterone can mask a miscarriage. And she said, I don't want to leave you now for 12, until 12 weeks. So she said, can you come back next week? So I went away and I remember, you remember all these dates, it was October, it was quite grey and miserable. And I just thought, please just don't give up. Mm -hmm. Like just, I can't give up and they can't, you know, the baby can't give up either. I'll just keep going. And that week I felt I had a mixture of emotions, but I thought, no, this could be okay. You can't just give up on the first sign of bad news. And I thought, you know, even when they're here, you're going to get told things you, you're going to worry about medically. You can't give up. You've got to keep going. So I went back the following week, um, had the scan, and she just said, I'm really sorry. She said the heartbeat stopped, and she said mm -hmm. it, it, the baby shrunk as well, um, which was just devastating because, you know, you have that glimmer of hope. My mum was there as well, and she was watching the they turned the screen away from me but mum was watching and she said she knew because obviously everything just looked so different there was no mm. sound there was no flicker of a heartbeat this time um so at that point 
I got ready and she said you've got two options you can well you technically got three you can wait for the miscarriage to come but because you're on progesterone it could be up to 12 weeks or you can go to the hospital take some tablets which will induce a miscarriage um, or you can have a DNC um, where we'll surgically remove um, it's up to you have a think but you need to go to the hospital now and I'll send you up with a referral letter but she said my suggestion would be we test the miscarriage because this is technically she said it's, it's just third one she said now outside of fertility treatments so this is where I am inverted commas lucky that it wouldn't have been tested but she said because you've gone through three I've had three losses in 11 months she said because of that I would like to test it in case there's something we can change up for your next round of IVF if you want to go again and she said we won't get this chance again so do you want to do that which I agreed I said I think that's the right thing to do so I got admitted into hospital the following day um, I started with the tablets but nothing happened for two days and then I had to have an emergency DNC on the third morning um, because they said we can't send you home now and nothing's happening that was horrendous and uh, you know as amazing as the hospital were you're still on a maternity ward you're on the early mm. pregnancy unit surrounded by maternity surrounded by ultrasound they tell you to go out and walk around so I'm walking around the corridors with people that are full term trying to oh, get their things get their labor going it it was awful but the hospital the RVI were absolutely incredible and the clinic were incredible as well so I'm just so grateful they didn't just leave me to that 12 week because I could have progressed mm. you know even the morning of my DNC I still had um, morning sickness so my symptoms were so strong and that to me at home still testing positive would have made me think everything was fine and then at 12 weeks I would have been told the news actually baby had stopped at six six and a half goodness yeah. so how were you feeling at this point completely done in by the whole process mm. then I just it was the one time I remember saying to my mum in the hospital it shouldn't be this hard and mm. maybe it's just not meant to be and for once mum's always been kind of you know the, the cheerleader and all of this and mm. she just looked and said yeah maybe and for once she didn't say no no don't be silly you can she just said it's your choice and she said let's just get through today let's get through mm. the hours and then make a decision and the clinic were great. They rang me when I was in the hospital and said, you know, we, we referred you to the hospital. What's happening? So I told them and they said, look, I know you might not want to think about it now, but we, we can put your name down for another round because it's going to be another six to eight months. What oh. do you want to do? And I just said, if you ask me today, I would say I don't want to go again, but I don't know how I'm going to feel in six months. So just put my name down. Right. And then and they said if you're not ready as that date comes around you can push it back you can tell us she said mm -hmm. but I actually think we're better putting your name on the list and I said that's fine let's just do that whilst we work out what the tests are and what happens so they put my name down I came out of hospital and then I got all the test results back and everything was normal so we'll never know is kind of you know the, the underlying answer to it but it was a healthy embryo there was no um, chromosomal issues which you know is probably a little bit sad as well because actually it was healthy but they said fundamentally there's no reason why this should happen again they said you're at no higher risk than anybody else at your okay. way. so they're not concerned from that I think it's just a case of you've got to just kind of go again and if you want to and we just have to hope for a different outcome.
And are you in that six months now? Yeah, so as it is now, I've gone to counselling, which if anybody is offered this, I highly recommend doing. Um, it's a grief counsellor I've been speaking to. And I don't think I'd realised the effect of it at the time. I think I just came out of hospital. I remember I came home on the Thursday and I was back at work on the Monday. Now, that was my choice. Work were amazing. Yeah. I said, you know, yeah. and I would add my boss did know what was going on at this point because, again, with IVF, there's so many appointments. I just thought it's easier to be honest in my situation. Um, and they said, you know, she'd take as long as you need. But I just thought I've sat in a hospital for three or four days. I, I just want to get back to doing something so I went back to work I worked really hard from October and then by Christmas it really hit me I think when that sort of week in between when everyone's slowing down and you're taking time off that's when it really hit me but thankfully I have been going to counselling so that's been really helpful. And did you get that counsellor through the clinic or is that something yeah. separate? through the clinic and it was free as well and I think oh, it's amazing. free for anybody I believe um so yeah I I was a little bit skeptical at first when I met him I was thinking I thought the counseling was actually about just preparing you for IVF again it's not it's all about trauma and kind of going back to um positioning as they call it so that when you come to go again you can be positioned to know that things can happen it's not to say it's going to happen at the same point in time it's not to say it will happen but you need to have the coping mechanisms for going through it all again which I think is really important if you are going to do it again um, so gosh it sounds like you've been through so much I'm so sorry that you've had to experience all that where are you now with you know your next steps I do want to go again. I think it took me a few months, if I'm honest. Um, and there's still apprehension. And I think it's through counselling as well. I've just accepted now. Pregnancy for me will be very different to somebody who hasn't had a loss. And I think that's kind of the, the camp you go into. You get pregnant and you're going to go one or two ways. And unfortunately, I'm on the on the side now where I know the worst can happen. I feel like I've experienced one of the worst things that can happen so it will be different and I just I take peace from that though you know I don't think I'll want to ever have a baby shower I don't think I will be ever posting pictures of pregnancy and bumps and all the rest of it right now is how I feel because I just think not nothing's a given until you get them home and I just think there's rather than trying to fight that and trying to and I've already said to friends you know I don't want any of that and they're like that's absolutely fine you don't have to but rather than trying to go along with what maybe people would expect I just think I've accepted it will be very different. It sounds like you've got some amazing people around you. Yes. I do. And that would be my other point here that I know you talk a lot, Mel, about having that network for when the baby's here. But I would actually say build it in advance because I know that a lot of people are nervous about telling their boss, telling friends and family. Without my network, I wouldn't be where I am now. I would have given up on this because they are the ones that literally dig you out the trenches when you feel like you can't carry on another hour, especially in hospital. And my friends were absolutely amazing, as was my mum and family. And I think that's really important to have that network beforehand because you just don't know how long this is going to take. Um, and it's about having open conversations with people you can trust where, again, my friends that know what I'm going through, they don't text me for regular updates saying, you know, how far along are you or anything like that. They're just really respectful to know that this is how it how it is. Some of them don't know the dates necessarily because I don't want to overshare with everybody. I still want there to be an element of surprise if it is to happen and it's to be good news. But they've just been amazing at just being there and just understanding. And I think 
it's through me being so open I was open about my miscarriage because it coincided with baby loss week um the week I was in hospital and I was quite open about that on my Instagram and it's funny because a few years ago my biggest fear was how would I explain I've done this solo I do not care about that now like I would stand up on a microphone in a room and tell people how proud I am to do it solo because I've gone through so much and maybe that's why maybe this is what I needed because that was always something in my mind where I thought how am I going to explain this away to people when they know I'm single none of that matters like that that's just not important now but it's like you said on your courses the things you think are massive don't get me wrong they are at the time but then they just go into insignificance as you go down the journey and you get to the next chapter or you get to the next period and you go right okay what does this part now look like I'm not so bothered about that or I can handle that or I can handle those questions mm. so for anybody who is in that considering phase and they haven't started treatment yet and they're thinking is this the right thing to do what advice would you give to people I would say if you're on the cusp still go and have the conversation with the clinic or if you need to get referred by your GP you know I rang the clinic that was my first port of call in 2019 they said you need to be referred like we, I couldn't even go to the clinic for that kind of MOT checkup if you like without being referred by a GP so start the process once you're in the system it's a lot easier to defer things so if you need to push appointments back if you need to decide you want to take a bit of time out it's easier than trying to then get into the system especially after covid so i think there's no harm in doing that and you know if it is an insurance policy create embryos or even if you you know if it's the right thing freeze eggs you know I do look back and think had I frozen mine at 31 32 they would be the eggs would be using now as opposed to being at the age I'm at now I can't go back and do you know and and do that but actually for something that's so important and in the grand scheme of the cost of freezing eggs or embryos it's worth doing if you're not sure and if you think I might change my mind I might meet someone this guy could be the one that's great but I don't think you would regret actually just going through the process and understanding how long things can take because as I say my first appointment at the clinic was August 2019 and here we are in Feb 2023 I still don't have a baby so yeah I think that is such good advice for people and that's the same advice I always give if you think you want to do this but you're not ready at least start the process because it's easier to stop it you're in control just because you start it doesn't mean you have to you know no. see it all the way through you can stop it at egg collection you can stop it at embryo freezing but at least then you are in a stronger position um, potentially than if you wait for too long so I think that's a really good advice for people I think the other thing that we talked about Claire is you think at the time don't you that making this decision is the you know the hardest decision you'll ever make and you know the the, the toughest part of this whole process and I think we um wanted to raise the awareness really that actually for some people that's that you know just the very beginning and um you know if only you knew that what was to come after you'd made that decision maybe things you would have done things a bit differently yeah I think you and you feel almost a bit cheated by it as I did I thought you know it's like I remember saying to mum it shouldn't have been this hard like that was honestly how I remember thinking because you have spent some people spend months some people take years circumstances change and you go actually I'm on, I'm single now and I don't want to miss this opportunity and 
we do have a, a you know a small window really when you get to your late 30s you know there's no getting away from that it's proven even my amh has dropped over the years when they've tested it so i can see it going down and that's me being aware of it um and i think you spend so long going is it right? And is this going to be the thing I want to do? And you honestly, I think you feel so empowered when you've made the decision. And I did your course and it was great. And I was like, right, let's go. And I honestly thought within 12 to 18 months, I'd have a baby. Like, why wouldn't I? You know, on paper, why wouldn't I? Mm. I've took the decision to do this. I'm buying bloody good sperm. I'm good on paper and myself and nothing's wrong. And then you just realise that, you know, that it is out of your control to some extent. And that's really hard for as a community and I think as a group of women we are probably very used to working hard to get what we want we're mm. used to taking control of our lives and this is the one thing that's spinning completely out even though it's your body and you've made this amazing decision it is then technically you're handing that over to fate and to a clinic and I think that's that takes a, quite a bit of um getting used to because you're just so used to being able to go out and get what you want and it can be hard but start it rather than leaving it would be my advice on that um it's better to know and be more informed and as I say sometimes the test won't come back with anything substantial like with my tests and I've had um an internal 3d scan that they do for recurrent miscarriage everything's fine like there is nothing there and the consultant said I know you probably want a definitive answer she said but equally this is also good news because if I did come back with a definitive answer it could take you down a brand new different route and it could be you know it could be that we're saying to you you're not um eligible for another round of IVF or we don't think you meet the criteria so such a roller coaster of a journey for so many people thank you so much for sharing your story I think it will be so useful for people to hear and you know I'm sure everybody listening including myself is sending you all the positive vibes um for the next round so really really hope that um you have a positive story to share after your next round of IVF thank you I hope to be on your course um when I get to the next step and join the next course and uh yeah thank you and I think it's so amazing to have this community because it is such a it's such a valuable space and I've even mentioned it to my counsellor because he obviously counsels other women making the solo choice and I've given them you know recommendations for podcasts and books and I said you know these are these are places that you can maybe direct people to and he's took that on board as well so thank you brilliant oh thank you so much lovely to chat to you if you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast and would like to access bonus episodes featuring donor-conceived people, psychologists and other experts, you can head over to my website, thestalkandi.com, to subscribe to the Thriving Solo membership. For $2.99 a month, you'll get access to members-only episodes as well as the entire back catalogue. You'll get access to useful resources and a monthly community call which are a great opportunity to meet people in a similar situation to you. On my website, you can also find more information about the coaching I offer. You can also follow me on Instagram at thestalkandi.com to get an insight into the realities of solo parent life.